Uh, let me begin with a little memory from a number of years ago. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, I'm from the UK, my wife is from Canada, but we met uh, while we were in East Asia. Uh, we met at a church in Hong Kong, uh, we started dating there, but right from the beginning, we knew that it would only be a few months before we'd have to be apart again. See, I was moving back to the UK, and Wendy, my wife, was moving back to Canada, the west coast of Canada. So there was going to be eight hours' time difference, a sort of ten-hour flight, a proper long distance. But before we went our different ways, uh, we got to have a few days together in the UK. And uh, if I was romantic, I would say those few days were magical. Uh, I got to show her around places that I was familiar with. I showed her where my roots were. And we got to get a little glimpse of maybe what life together might look like in the future. The days, those few days were wonderful. Uh, but they were also tinged with sadness because we knew that once those few days were over, we'd have to say goodbye to each other. And I can still remember the morning that I took her to the airport. Uh, we got her checked in, everything was sorted, and then we sat down to pray together. And I tried to get the prayers out, but the tears, trying to hold the tears back. Obviously, I couldn't hold the tears back. My wife likes to remind me of my, my quivering lower lip as I tried to hold it together. Uh, we were sad. We were really sad because we knew what was coming. We wouldn't see each other for quite a long time, it, it turns out. See, the future affects the present. What we understand about the future, what we expect about the future, what we are anticipating in the future will affect the present. If we know we're going on vacation, if it's a, it's a holiday weekend, the week goes quicker, right? If we're looking forward to a reunion, we're, we're buoyed in our spirits today. But then if we're looking forward to a job interview, an exam, uh, worst of all, maybe the dentist. Well, that, that fills us with dread now, doesn't it? See, the future affects the present. I've heard it put this way before. You take away the future, and you take away the present. You take away hope, and you take away life. You see, we, we are fundamentally hope-orientated creatures. We're creatures of hope. And the challenge is that in our experience, our hopes are so often raised and then our hopes are so often dashed. Uh, hopes raised and hopes dashed. Uh, maybe think of it this way. Imagine you're playing with a little kid. They've just learned to walk, and so you hold out one of their favorite toys to them. You know, to coax them to come towards you. So you hold it out, and you see them toddling over, a big smile on their face. Uh, just as they reach out for the toy, what do you do? You lift it just up. Oh, so close. Hopes raised, hopes dashed. Hopes raised, hopes dashed. You do that enough times, what happens? Well, they cry, don't they? And you realize you're a horrible human being and you, you give them the toy. Um, yeah, it's a silly example, but we know this in our experience, don't we? Uh, maybe we think back to past memories, times when we had real hopes and anticipations, maybe a new start somewhere. Uh, for some, maybe heading off to college, living up by ourselves for the first time, maybe meeting someone new, starting a new job, all these hopes. And yet so often, I'm sure we'll have stories to share of when some of those hopes were raised, but then hopes dashed. And uh, maybe now in our present, uh, we're still feeling the pain of hopes being dashed. Or maybe as we look forward to the future, uh, we just wonder in the back of our minds, what if the things we have now the life we have now, what if that gets taken away? And that affects our present. And so the question we're left with is this, where can we find 
hope? Where can we find true and lasting hope? Well, what we find in our passage here this morning is that if we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we have the hope of life. That's what Peter has for us here. We have the hope of life. You see, Peter was writing to Christians who were scattered across modern-day Turkey. Uh, you'll see the names of the places. Uh, we didn't read it, but verse 1, the names of the places where they were, and he describes them there as exiles. Later, he describes them as aliens, strangers, foreigners. They didn't belong where they were. Things weren't easy, but he writes to encourage them. He writes to spur them on uh, right at the end of the letter. He explains, chapter 5, verse 2, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Keep going. He's writing to encourage them. And where does he start? He starts by reminding them. He starts by reminding us that we have the hope of life. So that's what we'll look at as we work our way through these verses this morning. And as we do, we'll, we'll get to see how Peter unpacks this hope. Uh, it's a hope that is a living hope, even in the face of death. It is a certain hope, a future that is totally certain. And it is a joyous hope that brings joy even in the midst of suffering. It's a living hope. It is a certain hope. And it is a joyous hope. We have the hope of life. And so with that in mind, why don't we dive in and see how Peter unpacks this. It is a living hope, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, you see, birth is a, is a significant event. It's the great beginning, and we celebrate it, and we remember it each year. If you, if you put all the significant events of your life on the line, birth would be up there, right? <laughs> well, new birth is no less significant. It's this great new beginning. You see, what Peter is doing here, he's pulling on something that Jesus said to Nicodemus back in John chapter 3. Now, you'll remember he said this, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. New birth is that important. You have to be born again. Now, for us who are familiar with this, we'll hear that and we'll think, okay, yep, we, we know that. But of course, it's actually quite a strange image if you think about it. Jesus says, you must be born again, and we nod along. What does Nicodemus do? He says, well, <laughs> hang on a second. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And you've got to hand it to him. I mean, just picture it, a grown man. In fact, nah, don't, don't picture it. That's, that's how strange this image is. And that's how stark this image is. And yet, spiritually speaking, that is what is required, new birth. That's what we need in order to see the kingdom of God, in order to know God, to enjoy life with Him. And so we know that it's more than just about doing the right things. It's more than just about even knowing the right things or being that little bit better. It's deeper than that, more fundamental, more internal. We need new birth, he calls it. Something that we can't bring about ourselves. We can't bring it about in others. We can't bring it about in our own hearts. By the power of God's Spirit, bringing new life in our hearts. 
And what Peter says here is that in God's great mercy, out of his sheer kindness, even though we can't bring it about, even though we don't even deserve it, this is what we have received. He has given us new birth. He has caused us to be born again. And this new birth is into a living hope. See, if new birth is this beginning, then this is a new beginning, but to a story that will never end. Uh, think of it this way. Uh, try to picture or try to imagine how the disciples felt on the first Good Friday. Uh, by this point, they would have followed Jesus around for the past few years. Uh, think about all the things they would have seen as they traveled around village to village. Think about all the things they would have heard as they ate with him and laughed with him and cried with him. They left everything behind to follow him. This was the one they were waiting for. He was the one who was going to put everything right. Their hopes had been raised higher than they ever had been. But then their hopes were dashed before their very eyes as they saw Jesus hanging on the cross. Uh, think of the heartache. Think of the confusion. They left everything behind for him. See, there's this harrowing drumbeat throughout all of Scripture and in our own experience as well. Birth then death. Birth, then death. This beginning, but then this end. But of course, we know that Easter Sunday comes right round the corner. Birth, then death. But then through death into resurrection life. See, the resurrection declares him victorious. Victorious over sin. Victorious over death. Death is no longer this dead end. Uh, somehow, Death is transformed into this gateway into eternity. It is a new birth into a living hope, this new beginning to a story that will never end. See, there's this, there's this phrase that can just roll off the tongue so easily. We say, all good things come to an end. And we say it when a sports team, their run of success, we start to think, wow, this could go on forever. But then it comes down. Uh, <laughs> but then sometimes it comes to an end. And what do we say? Well, all good things come to an end. You know, we, we say it because we don't. We've got nothing else to say. You know, it's just something we say. But I just wonder, how much do we believe that? Are we really happy with that? You know, sure, some things in life, you know, the small things in life, fine. But what about the more significant things in life? Uh, those moments in life where things just seem Good. See, when we find good things in the world, when we find the good in life, what do we do? We want to hold on to it. And we don't want it to pass. We want it to last. We want it to keep going. We don't want those things to come to an end. And if that's the case with moments in our lives, what about the people in our lives? Um, here's how one writer puts it. Almost by definition, real love wants to last. It never wants to part from those we love. You see, when it comes to the most important things in life, when it comes to the most important people in our lives, when we're confronted with the questions of life and death, we don't just shrug our shoulders and say, oh, all good things come to an end. We cry, no! We say, no, this, this, it can't be this way. It shouldn't be this way. 
all good things come to an end. Well, by his death and resurrection, Jesus Christ says, actually, they don't. Because he has punched a hole through death into the other side. As we consider this, I'm aware that this won't just be an interesting topic. This isn't a hypothetical question out there for some of us. This will be real and painful right now. Friends, are you grieving this morning? Are you grieving today? Because in the midst of our present, as we bump up into these painful questions of life and death, Peter, he draws alongside us. And he assures us that death is not the end. We have a living hope. We have the hope of life. It is a living hope, even in the face of death. And it is a certain hope. Verse 4, we've been born again into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Uh, what Peter does, he takes this future hope that we have and he describes it as an inheritance, an inheritance that is totally secure. It cannot be taken away. It cannot be damaged. It cannot be threatened. And it's almost hard to picture something like that. I mean, these words, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, where do we find things like this? And so maybe we can think of it like this. Every so often you get these stories or these reports of someone finding something that has been perfectly preserved, months, years even. And so you see the photos, or you see the videos, and they bring it out, and they haven't touched it for years, and they carefully unwrap it, and there it is. Food from McDonald's. It's <laughs> remarkable. The burger looks exactly the same as if you bought it yesterday. It's still shiny. Uh, the fries in particular imperishable, undefiled, and unfailing. It's, sort of, it's slightly disturbing if you think about it. Well, Pete, see, that's how hard we find it to picture something that is like this. Pete has something so much better in mind. An eternity with the living God, the way things are supposed to be in a world that is put right. That's what he's holding out to us, and he's describing it as an inheritance that is totally secure. Just think about the things that we tend to hold out for, that we look forward to. Uh, maybe a literal inheritance. Uh, maybe a 401k at the end of our work lives. Uh, maybe a house that we're looking to buy. A new car, a new job. Uh, all fine things, and yet we know in our experience uh, just how insecure those, of those things are. Uh, all it takes is for a shift in the markets and our pensions are put under threat. Uh, all it takes is to be in just a bit too much of a rush in the parking lot and we'll scrape our brand new car. All it takes is for a big rainstorm and that perfectly finished basement is ruined. All these things, they're so insecure. Well, Peter assures us of an inheritance that is totally secure. You see, the, um, the Christians he was writing to, they were losing out because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, their social standing, their family standing, uh, even their livelihoods, and later, their lives were being put at risk because of their faith in Jesus Christ. I remember one uh, student who came through our ministry back in the UK. Uh, she came from an atheist background. Uh, she came to university, got to know a Christian. Uh, they became friends. They started reading the Bible together. And then she came along to a week of evangelistic events we put on. 
And wonderfully, she came to faith. She put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, she received this new birth that we looked at. It was a wonderful story. But I remember asking her at the end of that semester, before she headed home, uh, what can we pray for you? And she said, can you pray for me as I tell my parents I've become a Christian? She came from an atheist background. Uh, they were hugely antagonistic about Christian things. So that's what she was facing, family standing. I wonder where this has resonance with you. See, Peter is writing to Christians who are losing out, and he assures them that no matter how much you lose out, there is something that we have that cannot be taken away. Uh, one commentator <laughs> describes it like this. I love this. It's untouched by death unstained by evil and unimpaired by time. It is compounded, try to picture this, it is compounded of immortality, purity, and beauty. This is what is being held out to us. I challenge you, find something here that is anything like this. We have an inheritance that is totally secure. That's why our hope is certain. And also, we ourselves are being protected by God's power. See, verse 5, he continues, We who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Uh, see, it wouldn't be that much good news if we had a great inheritance, but if we weren't sure if we'd make it there. And that would be like the ultimate hopes raised and their hopes dashed, right? Well, what we have here is one of the New Testament's greatest assurances. God himself shields us, guards us, so chaperones us. He will make sure that we get to the end. By God's power, we are being guarded. Uh, this is the power of the one who brought the whole world into existence. This is the power of the one who brought his people up out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. This is the one who brought Jesus Christ from the dead and seated him in the heavenly realms. By his power, we are being guarded until that great day. I mean, imagine if it was up to us. We'd be nowhere. Uh, we would be hopeless. And sometimes, actually, we can start to think of faith as that kind of uh, up to us. Uh, you'll notice here, it says it's through faith that we're being guarded. And we can start to think of faith almost as looking in, this internal strength, this inner fortitude. And we say to each other, oh, I wish I had your faith as if it's this kind of muscle that we can work within ourselves. But faith doesn't look in. Where does faith look? Faith looks out. Faith says, not in my own strength. Faith says, trusting in your promises, God. Only you can bring me through. Uh, you might think of those words from uh, that song, uh, when I fear my faith will fail, that Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. And Peter says, he will. This future is certain. Friends, are you losing out today? Are you losing out because you are following Christ in a world that hates him? Or perhaps, do you feel like you're losing grip? Well, in the midst of our present, 
Peter, again, he draws alongside us and he lifts our eyes to see this certain future. He writes to encourage us. We have the hope of life. It is a living hope. It is a certain hope. And it is a joyous hope. You see, this hope, this future hope brings joy even in the midst of suffering. Uh, Verse 6, in this, this hope that we have, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. See, suffering is real. Peter doesn't sweep it aside. Suffering is real. And yet he says that this hope brings joy even in the midst of suffering. As he describes it here as various trials. Uh, suffering comes in all sh- different shapes and sizes. Uh, it's different perhaps for each of us. Uh, even in his letter here, he describes it in different ways. Uh, they were being called evildoers even though they were doing good. And we're familiar with that, right? They were being called evildoers even though they were doing good. Uh, later, he talks about how they are just being outright insulted, shamed for bearing the name of Christ. Uh, He describes them in chapter 4 as fiery trials. Uh, The temperature was rising. They felt the heat of it. And in fact, we discover that this was experienced by their brothers and sisters across the whole world. Uh, Peter, he doesn't trivialize suffering. Suffering is real. But he says that hope brings joy even in the midst of that suffering. And not because it's enjoyable. He never says that suffering is enjoyable. But he says that that suffering isn't hopeless. Uh, He describes it here as a little while. Now, in the midst of that little while, it can feel like a long, long while. But it will come to an end. It isn't just the way things will be forever. It isn't hopeless, he says. And also, it isn't pointless. Uh, Verse 7, so that, uh, these sufferings, they have come, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, These sufferings would prove the genuineness of their faith. No one would be able to point at them and say, You say you believe, but those are just empty words. No, these sufferings demonstrate the genuineness of their faith. It produces something within them that is more valuable than anything this world can afford, a faith refined by the fires of suffering. And in the end, it will lead to praise, glory, and honor to Jesus Christ when He is revealed. This suffering, it isn't hopeless, and also it isn't pointless. Do you see what Peter's doing? He's taking this future and he's shining it into the present. The future affects the present. It's the same pattern in verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It doesn't change the circumstances. Peter's letter doesn't fix the scenarios. Uh, It still hurts. The future is still in the future. The future is always in the future. But that brings joy now. Now, it might well be that for some of us here, we we read this, and if we're honest, uh, we don't feel like we're hurting all that much right now. 
Um, if I'm honest, as I've been meditating on these verses, uh, I feel like I'm in a comfortable cocoon. Um, we've been gifted a period of time studying in seminary. I'm surrounded each day with people who, who think the same thing, uh, who are out to try to encourage me, not to get me. But as I've been reflecting on this, what I want to do is pray that God would drill this deep into my heart so that I might be prepared for what comes in the future. Um, we mentioned, uh, Dave mentioned earlier that we'll be moving back to East Asia at the end of our studies next May, uh, moving to Hong Kong to serve in a church there. And uh, I won't bore you with the details, but things have been changing there. And to put it this way, lots of people have been moving out of Hong Kong. Uh, and it's been sobering to think of that. And so what we're praying for ourselves is that this would be sunk deep into our hearts. And so perhaps for some of us here, we don't, we don't feel like we're, we're hurting massively right now for following Christ, but why don't we pray that God will sink this deep into our bones that we will be prepared for when the temperature does rise. But of course, for others of us here, this isn't sort of something down the line. This isn't just something that we want to prepare for. This is now. Uh, this is the tears that we feel now, the hurt that we feel now, perhaps in our family, or perhaps in our communities, or perhaps in our workplace. Friends, are you hurting today because you are following Christ in a world that is tainted by sin, in a world that hates Christ? Well, in the midst of our present. Peter encourages us. This suffering will come to an end. It won't be forever. And he encourages us that this, even this, we might not think it's particularly grand, but even this will lead to praise, glory, and honor to Jesus Christ when he returns. It is a joyous hope that brings joy even in the midst of suffering. And actually, that makes sense because our hope came through suffering. See, at first, it kind of seems a bit counterintuitive. How can you have joy in the midst of suffering? Those two things don't go together. But actually, it makes sense because it is precisely through suffering that our hope came about in the first place. I think this is what Peter's getting at in verses 10 to 12. We won't get a look at all the details here, but let me read these words again and just listen out to how suffering is mentioned. Uh, concerning this salvation, concerning this hope, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Uh, what Peter says here is that the Old Testament and the New Testament, they're one big story, God's great big plan for the world and for you and for me. And there's this pattern that has been revealed to us. We get to see something about God's purposes, about God's plan, about how He will bring those things about. We get to see something that even the prophets could only look forward to, that even angels long to look into. And what is it that we get to see? Well, it's there right in the middle, uh, end of verse 11. 
the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. There is this pattern built in almost to God's great plan, suffering, then glory. And what this means is that the cross was not a mistake. The cross wasn't an accident. It wasn't like when Jesus died, it was this big blow to God's plan, and then the resurrection came along to fix it. No, it was the plan all along. Uh, Jesus predicted that he would die. He explained it as his purpose for coming that he would die. And it is precisely through his death that he brought about our hope in the first place. And we saw this earlier, didn't we? Um, in his life and ministry, he went around bringing hope in hopeless situations. Uh, people's hopes were being raised. This is the one. He's going to put everything right. And then their hopes were dashed before their very eyes as they saw him hanging on the cross. Uh, was this just another good thing that came to an end? Or was there more? You see, Jesus was the only one to perfectly obey God, the only one to perfectly trust Him. He had every reason to hope, and yet He suffered under a weight of judgment that He did not deserve. He was abandoned, left crying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was crucified. He died. He was buried. Jesus Christ took on the ultimate hopelessness so that we could have the hope of life. See, the cross wasn't hopes raised and hopes dashed. The cross was hope secured. This is why we can have joy in the midst of suffering. It's because our hope came through suffering. This is why we have a future that is totally certain, because Jesus paid everything necessary to secure that for us. This is why we have a new beginning to a story that will never end, because Jesus took on the ultimate end of death and then punched a hole right through to the other side. It is a living hope. It is a certain hope. And it is a joyous hope. Friends, if we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we have the hope of life. We have the hope of life. And so as we close, what do we do with this? You know, where do we go from here? Where does this leave us today? Well, let me finish by asking just two questions. And this first question is a question I have to ask. Friends, do you know this hope? Do you know this hope? Is this hope your hope in life and in death? It might well be that for some of us here, we are still looking into Christian things. And we're still wrestling with questions. You know, how does this all work? How does this fit together? Is this true? Can I actually put my whole weight on this? Uh, if that's you, I'm so glad you're here. There is nothing more important to wrestle with than this question. Can I urge you, keep wrestling. Talk to someone. Ask your questions. Don't put this down until you've done that. Do you know this hope? And if you do, will you rejoice today? Now, you may have noticed that in a whole passage, Peter doesn't give any commands or directions. Now, we don't get that until uh, after our passage. And yet throughout, there's this constant refrain 
of rejoicing. If this was a psalm, it would be a, a psalm of praise. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6, in this you rejoice. Uh, verse 8, uh, you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. The future is in the future. It's always in the future. But the future affects the present. Friends, we have the hope of life. And so we rejoice today. Are you hurting? Are you anxious this morning? Are you tired? And not just kind of at the surface level. Are you tired? Do you feel out of place in this world? Will you let this future shine into the present? Will you rejoice? I started by sharing this quote, if you take away the future, you take away the present. You take away hope and you take away life. Well, the opposite is also true. If we gain hope, if we gain true hope, then we gain life. Friends, this morning we have the hope of life. Will you rejoice today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We praise you for all that you have done through him. And we thank you for all that we have in him. And we pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would impress this upon our hearts, that we might believe this wholeheartedly today. And that this future horizon would shine into our present experience, that we would know that we have the hope of life. Uh, not because we've earned it, not because we've worked it, but because of your kindness to us. And we pray that that would lead us then to praise you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.